Welcome to Passing Judgment, a podcast about politics and the law and a lot of things in between. And this is not news to anybody listening. Former President Trump is now a private citizen. There are no rules prohibiting the indictment of private citizens, meaning that old rule we talked about a lot, the Department of Justice memo saying that you cannot indict a sitting president, no longer applies. So we're going to take today to talk about all of the potential ways that former President Trump faces legal exposure. We're going to talk through the potential federal cases, both civil and criminal, and we're going to talk through the potential state cases, both civil and criminal, and give you a little guide cheat sheet to everything that we could see coming. With me to help out, of course, is the show's co-host and producer and musician doing our intro and outro music. As a reminder, welcome Joe Armstrong. Hello, Jessica. Happy to be here as I always am. Now that this impeachment is over, let's take that little tour of Donald Trump's potential future legal problems. Most presidents tend to step away from the spotlight once they're out of office in order to give the incoming administration a chance to govern. But Trump's relentless norm-breaking casts a long shadow on our country as well as his own future. So today, let's talk about the federal and state cases in criminal and civil investigations. So, Jessica, let's start with the events surrounding January 6th of this year. The insurrection at the Capitol. Five people died. Trump was charged with just one article of impeachment, and that failed. That article failed when the Senate voted to acquit him. But that's not necessarily the end of this story. Now, what criminal charges could he face in a courtroom, Jessica? A lot is the short answer. And one thing that we should mention is that uh, Senator Mitch McConnell, the Senate minority leader, who voted to acquit the president in the impeachment trial, basically said, okay, criminal justice system, all right, courts, we're waiting for you. It's your turn now. And so the first thing that we're going to talk about is the insurrection and whether or not the president can be criminally charged. So we're looking at a federal code here, 18 U.S.C. 2383, and we're also looking at a 1969 Supreme Court case, the Brandenburg case, that talks about incitement of violence. I promise I'm not going to cite statutes at you for very long, or if at all. So let's talk about where we are in this investigation. And again, we're talking about can the president be criminally charged based on what happened on January 6th? And so right now, we're just so early in the investigation. I know it actually feels to people like that happened last month. That's a long time ago. Not in investigation land. There have only been about 200 people that have been arrested so far. The federal investigators are interviewing hundreds more. A lot of this is going to come down to whether or not people say things like, President Trump made me do it, which would, of course, tie the president to the insurrection even more deeply than he already is. The other thing to remember is for these federal criminal cases, it's a very high standard to prove. You have to show President Trump's intent. You have to show speech that was directed at inciting violence and likely to incite violence. And you have to show that you can overcome the First Amendment defenses, that you are in fact not punishing the president for constitutionally protected speech. Now, one of the things that we heard about in the impeachment, we'll probably hear about again if there are federal charges that ever come to pass. And that's this phone call between House Republican leader Kevin McCarthy and President Trump. Uh, When rioters were in the Capitol, Kevin McCarthy was essentially begging the president, saying, call off your supporters. 
And President Trump reportedly replied, well, Kevin, I guess these people are more upset about the election than you are. Why are we going to talk about this? All of this goes to President Trump's state of mind, his intent, and his knowledge of the rioters' actions, which again would be part of a potential case against him for federal criminal charges based on the insurrection. So that is a quick recap of what we could possibly see when it comes to whether or not President Trump will face federal criminal charges um, related to the insurrection. Now, Jessica, at the top of that little description, you said only 200 people arrested so far. That alone should give one pause in terms of the scope of the investigation and the scope of the event itself. It made me take a little bit of a breath when you said only 200 people. Name another event that happens like that when 200 people get arrested. There's probably many more arrests to come. So, Jessica, thank you for that. There may be some criminal exposure for the former president, but what about civil lawsuits? Could Donald Trump also be sued civilly for actions surrounding the insurrection? Yes. And in fact, he already was. So the NAACP, on behalf of Representative Benny Thompson and perhaps others, have sued President Trump in federal court. And again, this is a civil lawsuit. They sued under the Ku Klux Klan Act of 1871, in part. And what Representative Thompson said here is, look, My health was at risk because I was sheltering in place. So that's the harm that he said happened to him. And the lawsuit here is based on two main allegations. The first is that President Trump incited the insurrection at the Capitol. That relates to what we just talked about before, but because this is a civil case, the standard of proof is a little bit lower. The second set of allegations deals with the idea that President Trump conspired with his lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, and extremist groups like the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers to prevent Congress from doing its constitutional duty and certifying the results of the 2020 election. Now, why specifically? Because Trump and Giuliani tried for months to cast doubt on the election, filing suits that were thrown out of court and otherwise unsuccessful, uh, making speeches about election fraud that didn't occur. And so, again, the legal basis here is the Ku Klux Klan Act of 1871. We don't use it a lot. Listeners, that's a very good thing. We don't want to live in a country where we have to use this act a lot. It's passed to prevent violence by the KKK and to stop the KKK specifically from engaging in violence or intimidation to interfere with Congress's ability to perform constitutionally mandated actions or duties. Again, here, what were they doing? Certifying the results of the Electoral College. So the NAACP also says, look, this insurrection was based on attempts to subvert the voices of racial minorities. It's not a coincidence that most of the challenged votes were in areas where there were heavily populated racial minorities. So this is absolutely going to be one of the suits to watch, and we'll see how many other uh, representatives might join this suit. Okay, Jessica, so in terms of these cases, what do you think Trump's defense would be? So in terms of this specific case, this NAACP case, I think his defense will be essentially twofold. First, he's going to say, look, I get protections for acts that were done while I was president. And the plaintiffs have said, yes, you do, but not for everything you do while you're president. So this lawsuit was filed against President Trump in his personal capacity, not in his professional capacity. And none of the actions here 
the plaintiffs allege, were done in order to carry out his responsibilities as president. They say, in fact, the conduct was really, really far outside the scope of his duties as commander in chief. The plaintiffs say, look, inciting a riot, attempting to interfere with the Congress's efforts to ratify the results, there's no way that that could be within the scope of the responsibilities of the president. The other defense, I think, will be, again, the First Amendment, saying this speech was not intended to incite violence, it's constitutionally protected, and you cannot punish me for political speech. So I think those are going to be the two main buckets of defenses when it comes to uh, this NAACP case. Again, a case dealing with whether or not President Trump can be civilly responsible for what happened on January 6th. Okay, Jessica, now moving on. The insurrection certainly isn't the only situation in which Trump faces potential legal troubles. If you can check the Wayback Machine in your pocket, we did a special episode of Passing Judgment on this very topic. But can you please remind us about problems Trump could be facing in terms of Georgia? I also have the Wayback Machine. Do we have matching Wayback Machines, Joe? I think we might. My mind is older than yours. I could use a new Wayback Machine. If only I could go use my Wayback Machine to go back in time and give myself some money to buy a new Wayback Machine now. Then we could get into some Terminator territory. If you saw the new (laughs) Tenet movie, maybe we could get into that territory. But uh, I don't know, Jessica. Yours is probably newer than mine. Assume... I haven't seen any movies, new or old, but here's what I do know a little bit about. Um, Trump could be tried in Georgia for election fraud. Georgia has opened a criminal investigation into his pressure campaign on state election officials. And what are we talking about specifically? The January 2nd, 2021 call um, in which President Trump told Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger Uh, you know what? Find enough votes to overturn Biden's victory in this state. As you said, we have a separate episode on that. So I'll I'll leave it at that in terms of just highlighting for people that there is, in fact, an ongoing criminal investigation in Georgia related to potential election fraud. Okay, so that's just one state. That's Georgia. But what about federal crimes, again, that were not related to the insurrection? Yes. Amazingly, there are other potential federal crimes here, uh, again, that are not related to the insurrection. So I'm going to talk about two main areas. The first area is obstruction of justice. And this is based on the Mueller report. And the idea is that the president impeded an investigation for a corrupt purpose. So Mueller detailed about 10 potential instances of obstruction of justice in his investigation Again, this was an investigation into possible conspiracy between the Trump campaign and the Russian government. So let's just think about four examples. Uh, President Trump allegedly trying to limit Mueller's investigation to only future elections. President Trump allegedly trying to persuade his former campaign chair, Paul Manafort, not to cooperate with investigators. President Trump trying to fire Mueller. President Trump trying to... uh, allegedly cover up the firing. What else? There's a list of potential false statements here that could amount to obstruction of justice. And remember that the president did supply written responses in the Mueller probe. Now, so that's the obstruction of justice area. What's the other potential area for federal crimes or maybe even federal civil issues? Campaign finance violations. And this is based on Michael Cohen's testimony Uh, Michael Cohen being the president's former personal attorney. 
And Cohen says uh, he set up a shell corporation to make about $130,000 in payments to Stormy Daniels in exchange for her silence about an alleged affair with the former president uh, before he was president. The payment is alleged to have helped his campaign. I think it did help his campaign and was more than the $2,700 contribution limit in place at the time. In addition, it was made from a corporation. You can't make a campaign contribution that's more than a limit, and you can't make a campaign contribution from a corporation on the federal level. So the federal government has said Cohen acted in, quote, coordination with and at the direction of individual number one, who is clearly President Trump. So this is certainly, um, as we say, another one to watch. And I think that basically concludes our tour of what could happen on the federal level. All righty, Jessica, we talked about the insurrection. We talked about Georgia. We talked about some more federal problems that he may have. But let's finish this discussion in New York, where Trump was raised, where he built his real estate fortune and where he still has a building with his name on it. So what are the cases that he's facing in New York? Given his long history of business dealings there, what kind of liabilities is he facing in his home state, legally speaking? Well, one case was brought by a journalist, E. Jean Carroll, and this is a suit for defamation. And Carroll alleges that former President Trump raped her decades ago and then lied about it. And in denying the charge, he also attacked her and disparaged her character. And that's what forms the basis of the defamation suit. Um, That case is interesting on a number of different levels, but if it leads to a deposition of President Trump, that's really a place he wants to, I think, avoid. And that's why he's been so vigorously um, trying to defend against these suits, because I don't think he wants to be under oath and have to answer a whole host of questions here. So that is that particular suit. And then there are two civil and criminal investigations that are also ongoing in New York. Okay, so Jessica, let's start with the New York Attorney General investigation. Start there. All right. So again, there's a New York Attorney General investigation that's likely based on potential civil violations. And there's a New York District Attorney investigation, which is based on criminal, potential criminal investigations. So Joe, you asked me about the New York Attorney General investigation. Again, the New York Attorney General, Letitia James, and her office are looking into this question about whether the Trump organization lied about property values to try and get loans, tax benefits, and potentially other economic benefits. In how would they lie? Basically inflate the value of properties to get loans and then lower the value of property to get tax breaks. Uh, They're looking at properties like the Trump International Hotel and Tower in Chicago, this property called the Seven Springs property and a property called 40 Wall Street that's a skyscraper. And the second two properties I just mentioned are also the subject of the New York District Attorney investigation that we'll talk about in a second. But the recent development here in the New York Attorney General case, again, the civil investigation, is that on January 29th, a New York judge said, hey, Trump organization, your law firm, they have to turn over many financial documents. They're not, in fact, protected by attorney-client privilege 
because attorneys were giving business advice, not legal advice. So that could potentially be much ado about nothing, or it could be a huge treasure trove when it comes to this attorney general investigation. All right, Jessica. Now, in the midst of all that, you also mentioned the district attorney criminal investigation. Now, that's led by Cy Vance Jr. What is the story there? So this is actually a similar question that the New York District Attorney is looking into, but they're looking into potential criminal violations, not civil violations. The main issue here is asking whether or not the Trump Organization committed tax fraud or bank-related or insurance fraud and or falsified business records, again, likely focusing on lying about property values. We just talked about the fact that they're looking at Two properties, probably more, the Seven Springs property, um, maybe improperly inflating that, the value of that property, looking at the values that they gave in order to secure loans and in order to obtain tax benefits, and then also the 40 Wall Street property, asking if uh, the Trump organization lied about the value of that property to get a loan. Now, possible defenses here that there's a big variation in standards for valuing property. So it could be hard to prove criminal fraud. And President Trump obviously wasn't the one actually doing the appraisal. He wasn't the one saying, we're going to value it at this. So there might be some separation between President Trump and or the Trump organization and the alleged wrongdoing. Recent developments in this case, uh, The New York district attorney recently hired a forensic accountant. They also hired a former federal prosecutor who has expertise in white-collar crime and organized crime. And big outstanding question, we're waiting on the Supreme Court to decide if the district attorney can obtain eight years of Trump's financial information from Mazars, President Trump's accounting firm. That decision could happen soon, and you better believe we will have a special episode if and when news on that breaks. Oh, wow, Jessica, that is a lot to chew on. Donald Trump certainly makes a lot of noise. You make a lot of noise, you draw a lot of fire. But as Yogi Berra once said, it ain't over till it's over. So everybody make some popcorn. Keep tuning into Passing Judgment, because whether you love him or loathe him, Donald Trump's legal troubles are far from over. We're ending on the Yogi Berra quote. Have a good day, everybody. (laughs) 